Good morning and welcome to St. Mark. This morning we're doing things just a little bit differently as we're on a retreat in Prescott, Arizona. So I'm coming to you live today from Prescott, Arizona. Just kidding, we're not live at all and I'm in the portables and it's Thursday. As we continue on in this series on the seven deadly sins, I want to talk to you today about one of the very first ones listed and that is a sin called pride. Now, as we begin to consider the subject, I think it's important to note that there are actually two kinds of pride talked about in the Bible. There's the good kind of pride, and then there's the bad kind of pride. The good pride is stuff like self-respect and dignity and satisfaction and a job well done, joy in seeing others succeed, all those kind of things. The bad kind of pride, however, is what we all usually think of when we think about the word pride. It includes stuff like conceit and arrogance, an attitude of superiority, egotism. Somebody once said that egotism is the only kind of disease that when you've got it, it makes everybody else sick. Now, with that being said, there are a lot of great stars, a lot of very well-known people today who are not necessarily known for their humility. People like Kanye West, Kim Kardashian. Uh, a couple years ago, you might have included somebody like Terrell Owens, probably would have come to mind. But... How about one of the greatest braggarts of all time? He's actually one of my favorite sports uh, figures ever, but it's Muhammad Ali. One time Muhammad Ali was on a plane and he wouldn't fasten his seatbelt. And a stewardess came up to him and asked him to fasten his seatbelt. And he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she looked straight at him and she said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Now buckle up. <laughs> and so there's the good kind of pride. And there's definitely, I think we would all agree, this bad kind of pride. And obviously, God lists these seven sins that he absolutely hates. And the pride that he hates the most is the bad kind of pride. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that it's this bad pride that causes all kinds of problems in our lives. I'll give you some examples of that today just to kind of get your minds thinking. But one of the examples might be is it prevents us from growing. It's not one of the things that we think oftentimes about, but... It's when I think I have it all together. I don't have any motivation at that point to keep learning and growing and developing and changing. It's kind of like when the head starts swelling, the mind stops growing. And in Proverbs 26, verse 12, God says, There is more hope for a fool than for a man who is wise in his own eyes. He's talking about the denial of pride. Why? Because pride causes me to deny that I have any weaknesses. In Proverbs 10, verse 17, it says, Anyone willing to be corrected is on a pathway to life. Anyone refusing has lost his chance. In other words, pride keeps me from getting the help that I need. I've got marriage problems and I won't talk to anybody about it. That's pride. When I've got financial problems and I don't want to get help on it, that's pride. When I'm not cutting it as a parent, when I'm not making it work at work. I don't want anybody else to know about it. That's, that's pride. And it keeps me from growing. We'd rather look smart, it seems like, than be smart. But the way you be smart is by being humble. One of the ways that you can tell if you've got a pride issue is to ask yourself, am I even teachable? Because pride prevents me from growing. It prevents me from learning. It prevents me from dealing with my issues. Another thing that pride often does is it poisons our relationships. I think you see that everywhere. The root of all conflict and disharmony, it seems, is pride. And when we act out of pride, we tend to be demanding and unsympathetic. I'm going to have it my way. My way is the right way. Anybody had an argument like that? We become obnoxious. We become rude. In fact, have you ever seen a prideful person ordering in a restaurant? How they're so demanding. How they seem to hold grudges. How they keep score. How they're unsympathetic in almost every way. 
They explode in anger when they're criticized, but mostly, mostly it seems they just don't want to admit when they're wrong. Pride destroys relationships. In Proverbs 13, verse 10, it says, Pride only breeds quarrels. And it's the truth. When my pride is in competition with your pride, there's a clash. Always. That's why the root of so many of your marriage problems is plain old pride. I don't want to admit that maybe you really are partially right. Anybody had an argument like that? I won't. I want to admit that you may be partially right, but I'm not. So we're going to keep on fighting and we're going to keep on going round and round. In Matthew 7, 5, it says, Take the log out of your own eye first, and then you'll be able to see and take the speck out of your brother's eye. When I refuse to admit that I'm part of the problem, then it causes pride and becomes harmful to my relationships. So many family conflicts could be resolved, but we just don't want to admit our pride. The father who has gotten angry at his son and tells his son, Get out of the house and don't come back. And then he's too prideful to go to his son and say, Son, I was wrong. I'm sorry, please come home. But isn't that the hardest thing in the world to admit that you're wrong, that you're sorry? Pride causes relationships to be damaged. So the key to reconciliations is simply to swallow your pride. Pride, I think, also does one more thing. Pride produces stress and anxiety. This is where worry, I think we worry too much about our image, about how people see us. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says it is dangerous to be concerned with what other people think. In Proverbs 20, verse 27, it says the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Pride can cause depression because if I try to live one image, but inside I know I'm different, they just don't match. So I'm going to get depressed. I may fool you, but I can't fool me, and so it causes discouragement and depression and disillusionment. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, Happy are the humble. Humility is the mark of an emotionally healthy person. Pride is the mark of an emotionally insecure person. If I have to prove something to you, it means that I'm insecure on the inside. Emotionally healthy people aren't concerned about status or image or pride or ego. They've found their satisfaction in other ways, healthier ways. And so, if that's the problem, how do we overcome this pride thing in our life? So for the rest of this morning, what I want to talk with you about is how can you be happy and humble? Because they go together. Happiness and humility go together. They go hand in hand. Remember, we said God gives grace to the humble. And grace is that undeserved love peace that God gives us. Grace is that power to change in our life. And if you want to change something in your life, it starts with humility. I mean, how do you do this? I guess that's the big question. And scripture gives us a lot of stuff. And one of the first things is simply this. I need to admit my weaknesses honestly. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, the Bible says. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. That's what God says. If I don't admit my weaknesses, I can't work on my weaknesses. And so it says if I, if I don't admit my weaknesses, I can't work on my weaknesses. I had lunch with a, just a very accomplished young man. It was just fun listening to him talk about all the stuff that he had done in his life, all the things he was doing in his life. It was really remarkable. But one of the first things that he asked me as we sat down to lunch was, I think I'm struggling with this area of workaholism. Pastor, what would you say are the most important things to look at so I don't go into a bad area with this? And we, we talked about priority, and we talked about Sabbath, and we talked about just... God first, and then your spouse, and then your kids, and then your work. And, um, but the thing that most struck me is this was a very accomplished kid. He had done so many things already that would just kind of blow you away. 
But his first question is, how do I fix this weakness in my life? It's one of the windows we get to, into his life and why he's been so successful in so many different ways. He's not afraid to look at the stuff that holds him back. He's not afraid to look at the things that complicate his life. Some of you heard about the teenage boy who admitted to his sister, Sis, I think I'm guilty of the sin of vanity. His older sister said, how in the world could you be guilty of the sin of vanity? And he said, I don't know, but every time I see a mirror, I look into it and I think, what a hunk. She said, that's no sin. That's just ignorance. I know a lot of you might pray, God, if I've sinned today, please forgive me. And that's a good prayer. But trust me, you don't have to say if. It's there. You have weaknesses and you have faults and you have failures in your life. Some of you say, when I confess to God, I can't think of anything to confess. That just means you're not being serious about it, that you're not being thoughtful about it. Just start going through the Ten Commandments and you're bound to hit something. You see, humility starts by being honest about my weaknesses. I don't have it all together. And the truth is, neither do you. For the Bible tells us that none of us are perfect. We're all growing. We're all struggling through this life. Another thing the Bible gives us to work on our pride is to evaluate our strengths realistically. Because pride is based on a false evaluation of ourselves. Humility is based on truth and realism. And so when you know the truth, Jesus says this, it will set you free. In Romans 12, 3, it says, Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your own importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities. In other words, be realistic about your evaluation. Humility does not mean putting yourself down all the time, saying, poor me, I'm junk, I'm a worm, I'm worthless. Some people think that's spiritual. It is not. And the reason is because you are something. Jesus didn't die for dirt or for worms. He died for you. Humility is not denying your strength. It's being honest about your weaknesses. The fact is you have strengths. You've got them from God. You have talents. You are very talented in some areas in your life. But you also have some very weak spots. You're very weak in some areas of your life. And so humility is not denying your strengths, but it's being honest about your weaknesses and being realistic about your strengths. It says, have a sane evaluation of them. Maybe the last thing to think about is this. Scripture tells us to serve others unselfishly. There's been a lot of articles lately on the rise of depression in America today. In fact, in the Arizona Republic, there was an article one time that read, uh, the title was, Studies Find Depression Epidemic in Young Adults Today. It read this way. Depression is an epidemic nowadays. The rate of mental depression in the United States has risen dramatically over the past 30 years. People born in the last 30 years face three to 10 times the risk of major depression than their grandparents did. Why, the article asks. It continues on and says, the epidemic of depression is traced to historical and cultural occurrences that have exalted the individual. Depression is the result, therefore, of the me generation. What's best for me? where you say, I don't care about anybody else, I've got to think about me, my image, how I look, my goals, my dreams, my desires. Pride and selfishness seem to be the leading causes of depression today. Thus, when we live a life that says, I'm only living it for me, I'm asking for depression, the article concluded. About 10 years ago from Psychology Today, there was an article entitled Boomer Blues, and it was talking about the depression among baby boomers. It read this way, with two great expectations, the baby boomers are sliding into individualistic melancholy or depression. Just as belief in the nation was crumbling and belief in God was also fading, the skyrocketing divorce rate eroded the belief in the family as well. 
when people no longer believed that their country was powerful and benevolent and that the family could be a source of enduring unity and support, or that a relationship with God was important and needed, where else could they turn for identity and satisfaction and hope? People then, the article said, only have one alternative to turn to themselves. And the article said, that's what's causing the depression today. There was another article in Psychology Today, uh, this one about five years ago. And this one was on this idea of doing good and helping others and being a servant. It talked about the more that you help other people, the more it lifts you out of your own self and your own depression. And it even creates these hormones in your body that gives you a, a high. What Psychology Today was saying is that God had been saying for 2,000 plus years in Philippians, in Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5, in fact, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude, therefore, should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And so he's just saying that real humility is not thinking poorly of yourself, saying stuff like, I'm lousy, I'm junk, it's... It's just thinking more about other people. You get the focus off my needs and my desires and my hurts and my wants, and you focus on what other people need. See, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is simply thinking less about yourself. And apparently when you begin focusing on what can you do for other people, the result of that is this crazy thing called happiness. In Proverbs 6, God lists seven things that he absolutely hates. And the number one thing God hates is pride. He hates it. He, he can't stand it. Why? Because it is the thing that refuses to be helped. It ultimately says, I'm God. I, I am my own God and I don't need anybody else to tell me what's, what it's all about. I run my own life. I can even hear my friend's words again as I read that statement. The problem with that, of course, is that you weren't made to live that way. You see, the worst thing about pride is that it cuts you off from the wonderful things that God actually wants to give you. And that's tragic. Because ultimately, the only thing, the only cure for pride is knowing this, that Jesus really loves you. For when you really begin to understand how much God really loves you, you begin to replace all that insecurity with his love. And you begin to see that you are loved by a God who made you, who created you for a purpose, and who has a plan for your life. A God who says now because of Jesus that you are forgiven and that you are loved and that you are significant and that you are mine. God says all these things because of Jesus. Because he paid the price. Because he came to seek us. Because he came to save. And all God's people said, amen. I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.